This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We've been teaching for the last uh, several weeks on uh, uh, authority, literally spiritual dominion. And we want to go a little bit further with it this morning. And uh, we want to start with a scripture that we've been looking at each week, kind of a text scripture that we've been using. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, at the creation, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Image and likeness must be two different things. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, we've, uh, we've referred to this before. But uh, maybe it'd be worth uh, saying it again, mentioning it again. In Psalm 8, the Bible tells us that the angels, at this point in time, when God was uh, identified his plan to create man and to give man dominion, the angels said, Who is man or what is man that thou art mindful of him? That thou createst him a little lower than yourself. King James says a little lower than the angels, but that word angels is the word Elohim, which is used for God. It's the same word that's translated God here in Genesis 126. You have made him a little lower than yourself. God made man as close to himself as he could. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. But God made man as close to himself as he could. Not in the class of angels, but above the class of angels. The Bible says that at the end, after uh, uh, God sets up his kingdom here on the earth in the millennium, and takes care of the devil once and for all and so forth. The Bible says that man will judge the angels. Well, man can't be lower than the angels if he's going to be in position to judge them. So the angel says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, that thou hast made him a little lower than yourself, literally a little lower than Elohim, the three in one. You have crowned him with glory and honor and, and loving kindness. You've put all the works of your hands under his authority or under his dominion. Folks, I want you to understand that God's plan from the beginning was for man to rule the earth. Now, that doesn't mean rule over each other. Don't don't think naturally about this. Dominion, God's plan of dominion perverted is man ruling over one group of people ruling over another. God's plan was to rule over the earth, his creation, in peace. But man messed that up. When Adam fell, the Bible says, sin entered the world and death by sin. Romans 5.12 tells us, Adam's one offense changed everything. His fallen state then turned, in, turned his dominion over to Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 now says that Satan is the God of this world. Now, it does not mean the God of creation. It doesn't mean that Satan is the God of, the, of creation. And it doesn't even mean that Satan controls everything here on the earth. For even the Old Testament said... Men living under the old covenant. David said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Holy Spirit inspired him to say that the earth still belongs to God and everything in it is his. Well, then what is Satan the God of then? He's the God of the age. He's the God of the age of man. But even under the old covenant, we see time and time again where God instructed someone, where someone operating under just Old Testament principles of of obedience, where they did miraculous things to supersede even in some cases, the laws of nature, to overcome Satan's work against the people of God. Time and time and time again, God used man when man stepped into a place where God could credit to him righteousness. That wasn't available to them in reality until Jesus came to the cross and died, or came to the earth and died on the cross. 
But even under the old covenant where they had just a promise of righteousness. Whenever man would operate in obedience to God's word. Then he was delivered an element or a measure of dominion that overcame the works of the devil in many cases uh, well in every case over their own lives but in many cases over the lives of others that uh, that loved God as well but that's what Jesus came to bring back to us Jesus came back to restore or came to the earth to restore lost dominion and he did that by making man righteous now did you find Romans chapter uh, 5 yet look at Romans chapter 5 verse 17 This is a verse of scripture that we looked at uh, before in in some detail. But in connection with this, in connection with the work of Jesus on the cross and what the purpose for going to the cross was. See, so many times the church just talks about sin. Jesus came to forgive sin. Well, Jesus did forgive sin, but that's really not why he came. The Bible says that Jesus, for this purpose, was the Son of God manifested. 1 John 3, verse 8. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, then he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, that's a whole lot more than just forgiveness of sin. See, under the old covenant, they had forgiveness of sins. There had to be more to it than the forgiveness of sins for Jesus to come to the earth. Well, what did he come to do? Well, again, 1 John 3, 8. Jesus was manifested for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what works of the devil does he mean? Is he just talking about the works of the devil in your life? Is he just talking about God came so that, that the work of the devil would be destroyed so that, 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 uh, so that you wouldn't cheat anymore and you wouldn't lie anymore and you wouldn't tell di- dirty jokes anymore? Now the Bible says man's problem was that he was dead. The work of the devil, what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and, and rebelled against God was that man fell into spiritual death. He was held in bondage from that moment forward in spiritual death. It's spiritual death that Jesus came to destroy. Because sins, meaning behavior, wrong behavior, wrongdoing on man's part, is not the result of anything other than the fact that spiritual death began to rule on the earth. Adam's one sin, one transgression, one mistake... Open the door to spiritual death. Remember, that's what God said. God told them in the Garden of Eden. He said, you can eat of every fruit of the tree, eat of everything that's out here except this. You, will, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he can't be talking about physical death because Adam didn't die physically the day that he ate of it. Well, what death is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. See, that one sin opened the door to spiritual death. And that one sin, which opened the door to spiritual death, caused the results or the consequences of spiritual death, like poverty, like sickness, like depression, like self-consciousness. One of the greatest things about the Garden of Eden to me is that they, Adam and Eve walked around before they, before they fell, before they sinned. They walked in the Garden of Eden and they were naked and they didn't know it. How could you not know you're naked? The first thing they saw, however, when they fell was they became aware of themselves. They became aware of themselves. There must be an element of righteousness that makes you more conscious of other things than you. Well, whoever's happened to that will gain a victory. So Jesus came to restore mankind. How did he do that? Well, notice in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For if, literally the word if is the word since, for since by one man, Adam's offense in the Garden of Eden, death, spiritual death, reigned by the one. Spiritually, you didn't get sin in the Garden of Eden, did you? 
But spiritual death holds you in bondage just or held you in bondage just as much as it did Adam. Why? Because his one sin, his one offense opened the door to spiritual death and that passed upon all men. But much more, here's the contrast, much more they which receive the abundance of grace, that's the finished work of Jesus, and of the gift of righteousness. Notice the condition or the, the, the um, connection of righteousness with authority. Much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings by one Jesus Christ. Shall reign by one. King, uh, the um, Amplified says shall reign in life as kings by one Jesus Christ. What's Jesus doing? He's coming back to the earth to restore man's righteousness and his dominion. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened because behind you is the cross and on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Uh, did you find Ephesians 1? I told you to turn there, didn't I? Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. Let me start reading what Paul said he prayed for the church. I'll start in verse 15. He said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, that means they're saved, and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, when he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, that means he's praying for them all the time. Well, what are you praying for them all the time about, Paul? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the the knowledge of him. Notice he does not pray that God would give them power or strength. Now, please recognize that this is a supernatural prayer on on two fronts. Not only is this inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pray these things, but the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write down what he prayed, and then the Holy Spirit supernaturally saved the prayer so that we would know. Recognize the supernatural aspect, the God-originated aspect of this prayer. In other words, here's what Paul, here's what Paul, uh, let me say it this way. Here's what God wants you to pray. If he wanted Paul to pray it for other people, he wants you to pray it for other people. If he wants Paul to pray this for Christians, then this would work for you praying for yourself because you're a Christian. So notice what God wants you and I to pray. Notice what God's results that he desires for us are. That God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding. One translation says the eyes of your spirit. I think that's a good translation in this case. 
the eyes of your spirit or your spiritual understanding being enlightened or opened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us where to believe according to the working of his mighty power. Please notice he's not praying for strength. He's not praying for, for power. Now, if the Holy Ghost is going to try to get Paul to pray something for somebody that, uh, that implies that God wants this for them, this is the result God wants for the other people, right? Now, why wouldn't God say, Paul, pray for them that I'd give them strength? Why doesn't God say, Paul, pray for the church, pray for these Christians, pray for these people that you've gotten saved in these cities you've been to, pray for these Christians that are left behind, that they would have strength so that they could overcome the devil. That would seem like a good prayer, wouldn't it? The problem is very simply this. Paul knew, and God knew that Paul knew, that they didn't need more strength. They needed to know what strength they had. Everything about Paul's prayer is that you would know, that you would come to understand, that you would realize who you are in Christ. Not that you'd get something more than you have, but that your eyes would be open to what you do have. Folks, please understand, God is directing Paul over and over and over again with every church that he prays for to pray that they would have knowledge of what God has already done for them through the work and the sacrifice of Jesus, not that they'd have something they don't have. Why? Because Paul understood and Paul wrote to the church that because we're saved, we're complete in him. One translation said, filled up to the full. Well, Pastor Mike, if I'm filled up to the full, why have I got so much trouble with the devil? Because you don't know who you are. The answer to the devil problems you may have in your life is not to get more power over the devil. It's to come to the knowledge of the power you do have over the devil. Well, thanks for coming. Okay, so what's he praying? He's praying three things that we would know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints? What belongs to us, in other words? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers? Know God's plan, know what belongs to us, and know the power that's already residing within us. Now, what kind of power is this? Verse 20, which being the power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, he's saying the same power dwells in you that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, was that enough power to get the job done? Then the question has to be asked, do we have enough power to get the job done, whatever the situation is in our lives? Yes. Well, then why does the church go looking for other power? Why does the church go looking for something outside of ourselves to get the answer and the, the, the solution to whatever situation we're in. Why is nearly every prayer request that comes into churches worldwide all about God help? God do something about my situation. God heal me from this sickness. God uh, deliver me from this financial bondage. God give me a better job. God do this. God do that. God do the other. Why is all this stuff about God doing something rather than tapping into what belongs to us because you've already got the fullness of the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Do you realize how much prayer effort is wasted in the body of Christ? 
Why would we ask God to do something that he's already done in us? What good would it do for us to ask God to do something when he's already given the power to us to do it? It would do no good at all. It's wasted prayer. It's wasted effort. Can you see why the church is so weak? They're not weak because there's no power available. They're weak because they don't take advantage of the power that they have. All right, so he wrought this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. Please notice verse 20, set him at his own right hand. That means the work was finished. Jesus sat down. Where did he sit down? Verse 21, far above. Everybody say far above. That doesn't mean barely higher than. Far above. He's talking position now. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Would that not include the devil's power? So Jesus, the same power that's in you, was wrought in Jesus when when God raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand. And that power is far greater than anything the devil could possibly do. Has ever done or ever could do. Right? And has put all things, verse 22, and has put all things, everybody say all things. That means whatever thing you're dealing with in your life is included. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is not an incorrect translation, but the way that the wording is causes people to fail to realize, in my opinion, causes most people to fail to realize what he's saying. Let me change this around for you and see if it doesn't make better sense and see if, and you judge it for yourself, see if I'm changing anything. And has put all things under his church over which he is the head, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. See, when it says put all things under his feet, most people think Jesus' feet are the ones that everything is underneath. And that's not what he's saying. The feet are not in the head. Wouldn't that look stupid? Now, the feet are in the body. And he says the body is the church. And so what he's saying is Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. And God has put all things under his church the body because the body filleth all in all in other words the body has the same power that jesus had and has now you know as well as i do that paul didn't write this letter in chapter and verse so let's keep reading in chapter two he's not finished talking and you hath he quickened now why is he talking about you hath he quickened because just as he made jesus alive when he set him in his own right hand he made you alive at the same time That doesn't mean that was the moment that you accepted Jesus. That means that was the moment that the price for spiritual death was paid. You were made alive when Jesus was made alive. You received it when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But you were made alive. All of mankind was made alive, quickened in spirit at the moment that God raised Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus didn't rise for himself. He rose for mankind. He didn't pay the price for himself. He paid the price for mankind. Now, it won't do any good. It's one of the most amazing things when you consider and realize that everybody in the world has been saved. Now, it won't do them any good unless they accept it. 
But the price is paid for everybody. The Bible said Jesus died for the sins of the world. So everybody, the worst person you can imagine, the most horrible person that you can consider throughout the history of the world or history of mankind, the price for salvation was paid for him or her. But it only does does you some good when you receive it and accept it for yourself, which means the things that God wants for a man don't automatically fall on you. You have to take hold of them. Are you out there? And you are the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking about spiritual death. You were made alive even while you were in spiritual death, held in bondage to spiritual death. Wherein in times past before you were saved, in times past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air that tells you who's in charge of the world. Satan is. He's the God of this world or God of this age, literally. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, those who are still unsaved. Not you anymore, but those who are unsaved. Among whom we all had our conversation in times past. In other words, we all started at the same place. All of us were born out of spiritual death into eternal life by making Jesus the Lord of our lives. Among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, that means spiritual death, the nature of spiritual death, the children of wrath even as others. See, that's the change that occurs. The Bible says the first thing that happens when you're born again is God sheds his love abroad in your heart. You stop being a hater, you start being a lover. But God, here's the contrast. You were dead, no hope for you, but God. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, spiritually dead, in trespasses and sins, or dead in sins, hath quickened, made us alive, together with him in Christ, by grace are you saved, verse 6, and not only did he make you, did he raise you, or I'm sorry, not only did he quicken you at the same moment he quickened Jesus, but has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, if you compare verse 20 of chapter 1 with verse 6 of chapter 2, you'll see that God raised Jesus from the dead by the power that already works in you as a believer, the power that's resident in your spirit as a believer. That's the power that God used and exercised to raise Jesus from the dead. And he raised him to sit with him in heavenly places at his right hand, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. At the same moment that he made Jesus alive in spirit, he made man alive in spirit and raised you to sit together far above all principality and power and might and dominion right with Jesus. Now, obviously, he's talking about position. I don't know about you, but I'm not sitting in heaven. I'm standing in church. So he's talking position. Right? Jesus is literally sitting in heaven. At the right hand of God the Father. But even though I'm here on the earth because I'm his body. He's the head and I'm part of the body just like you are. That means we have the same position. As he does. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And what's underneath us? All things. We're seated far above. Everybody say far above. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this world but in that which is to come. 
you may have to stand your ground and the devil may tell you he's there and not backing up and he's moving forward and all this other kind of stuff. I know when we were fighting some of the battles we had on, on the building and the, the lawsuits and all this, some of the other stuff that was going on, I know that I was dealing with it day after day after day and it looked like the devil was a full speed ahead against us. I'd pray. I'd have a wonderful time of prayer. I'd get myself built up in faith, come to the office, and there'd be another terrible report or terrible news or something like that waiting for me. I got to where I thought, well, if I don't just come to the office, maybe that'll help. But it didn't. Still waiting for me whenever I got there again. And over and over again, I'd tell the devil, Satan, take your hands off our finances. You have no authority here. You have nothing to do with this. We belong to God. We're doing the plan and the purpose of God. We're accomplishing God's will for our church. And the devil kept moving full speed ahead, full speed ahead. And every time something else would come, the devil would laugh at me and he'd say, yeah, you thought you claimed authority. You thought you got rid of this, didn't you? And I'd think, well, yeah, I kind of did. That's the way I felt. But I stood up and said, no, Mr. Devil, the Bible says if I resist you, you have to flee. So you're gone and you just don't know it yet. Took a while. Took a while. But you know what happens, folks? A lot of times the devil's had to turn loose of things and some things just take time to grow. It's kind of like planting a garden. What if you planted a garden and you found you had gophers in your garden? Well, you've got two things going on. You've got the, 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 the hindrance that the gophers are causing to the growth of whatever you planted in your garden. But then you've got the problem of the gophers themselves. If you kill the gophers, you still got to wait for the garden to grow. But it doesn't mean you still have gophers. Kill your gophers. I never thought about that before. I like this. That's what resisting the devil is. It's killing your gophers. He has to go. He has to go. Doesn't mean everything's going to change overnight. But a lot of times when the devil is screaming at you, a lot of times the devil's telling you what he's going to do, his hands are off of it already because you've exercised your authority. He just hopes you don't know it. He just hopes that you'll back up and say, well, Lord, I thought it was working, but I guess it's not. Please do something. You just gave him permission to devour you. You just lost your ground. Whatever you were standing steadfast in your faith, you just lost that ground. Now you've got to start all over again. He takes back hold. Are you out there? No wonder Jesus said to the disciples, the 70, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You think we have less than the 70 had? Those were unsaved men, folks. No, we've got more. We've got more. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. He'll run from you as in terror. One of the greatest aspects of our redemption through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ is the authority that was granted unto us over the enemy and over all of his works. But it's up to us to exercise that. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
So here where it says, for sin shall no longer have dominion over you, it literally means you're no longer under the authority of spiritual death. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means everything that's a product of spiritual death, everything that came on the earth as a result of Adam's sin, poverty, sickness, depression, anxiety, any other thing that you can mention, all those are a part of spiritual death. You're no longer under the authority of any of those things. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.